We're going to read the Bible now, and we're going to use the booklets that are on your seat from the book of Matthew. And you'll find the reading on page 2. We're reading from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Morning, my name's Andy, one of the pastors here at church. It's my privilege uh, to take a look with you at this story. So why don't I pray and ask for God's, God's help to do that. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for this miraculous good news of Christmas. It's a familiar story, and we pray, Lord, that we would see it with fresh eyes, that we'd see it with adults' eyes, that it would delight and surprise us for our good and your glory. Amen. Well, I want to start by asking you, if you had to pick an image, uh, perhaps off your newsfeed, off your phone, to describe Christmas, what would you choose? I've been doing it, I've been looking through uh, my photo stream on my phone over the last 18 months or so, and here's three that could have made it. Here we go. Christmas parties. The next one. Christmas camels. Who was at carols? Hands up if you carols. It was good, wasn't it? Christmas camels. And Christmas goats. Uh, someone said at 9.45, nothing says Christmas like goats in dress-up. Um, those three could have made it into my uh, top image that describes Christmas. Uh, but as I was looking through my photo stream, I came across this image. A bit random, isn't it? The words, why? It was a photo that was sent to me from a friend of mine from, that was taken from the inside of the gent's toilet at Sydney Children's Hospital. Pretty powerful, isn't it? I don't know who wrote it. I don't know why they wrote it. But I can only imagine that it was pretty bad news that prompted that person uh, to write why. It's a pretty powerful image because it also describes many of our stories. Uh, You would have had your why moments this year, I'm sure. Uh, Why did it happen to me? Uh, Why hasn't it happened to me? Why does it hurt so much? And why can't I make sense of all this brokenness and all this mess? 
I know it's an odd image. I know there's no goats dressed as Santa in this image. Uh, But for me, I think it describes Christmas uh, because it describes why we need Christmas, why we need Jesus from that very first Christmas. Now, let me ask you again, what was your image that you chose? What came into your head when I asked you to describe Jesus, uh, describe Christmas? Uh, Was it the manger? Was it the little uh, baby in the manger? Was it one of those silhouettes of the barn where the where where Jesus was born. I wonder whether you noticed something odd when our reading was just read. If you've um, closed them, open these little biographies of Jesus' life. They're uh, by Matthew, a biography of Jesus' life. Flick with me to page two, to that uh, last reading that we had. I wonder whether you noticed noticed something odd about the images that Matthew uses to tell us about Christmas. Did you notice there's uh, no stable, there's no manger, there's no shepherds, there's no angel choir, there's no little Lord Jesus. That stuff is picked up by Luke's biography. Uh, We do get wise men there in chapter 2, but by then Jesus has grown up, he's a little toddler. What we do get, what Matthew hits us with, is this teen pregnancy scandal. It's bizarre, isn't it? Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now we need to remember that this is not like Sydney, uh, where half of our children are born to unmarried mothers. Uh, This was a proper scandal. I know why Naomi didn't want to cover this bit in the kids' talk. She covered the boring bit in chapter 1. I am talking in code because the kids are in. Um, What we get here is a real Jerry Springer-style scandal, don't we? I wonder whether you could just put uh, put yourself into Mary's shoes. Imagine how she felt as she got the news. Who did she tell first? Did she tell her mum? Did she tell her best friend? Did she tell Joseph? How did she tell Joseph? Did she text him? Did she just blurt it out? Did she tell him to sit down? Joe, I've got something to tell you. I'm pregnant and the baby's not yours. How did she feel, do you think? How do you think uh, Joseph felt as he heard the news, as her words smashed into him like a sledgehammer. You're what? And then it sinks in, and then the grief comes, and then the why questions start. Well, verse 19, have a look at me, tells us that Joseph is a good man, but he's not a fool. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You can really feel the mess, can't you? It's a proper, messy, heartbreaking scandal. If it was Jerry Springer, uh, then they would be cracking open the lie detector. Uh, They would be opening the DNA test results live on air. But verse 20 is the equivalent of that. There were no lie detectors back then, no DNA tests. But we do get verse 20. As the angel reveals that Mary is telling the truth. And that the DNA doesn't belong to Joseph. In fact, it doesn't belong to any man on the planet. It belongs to God himself. I love verse, I love verse 20. But after he had considered this, that is some considering, isn't it? 
Oh, Mary. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I know what you're thinking. You should be thinking it. You're thinking some bogan teenager has got together with her ex and got herself knocked up and they've accidentally invented Christianity. We've got to be thinking that, haven't we? Because it is bizarre. It's extraordinary. If this was a film, we'd say it's too far-fetched to be believable. I wonder, are you convinced by how this baby came about. I'm convinced. I'm convinced because Joseph is convinced. Verse 24, he goes off and marries Mary. I'm convinced because of what you've got in your hands, that Matthew has written this account down. If you're going to uh, make it up, you would not put that in your, first, uh, in your second episode of your biography, would you? And I'm convinced because millions of Christians over 2,000 years are convinced and have based their life on the fact uh, that God has supernaturally knitted together 46 chromosomes inside Mary's womb. Now, I'm not saying it's not weird. It's properly weird, isn't it? Uh, These Matthew's Gospels, uh, these biographies are yours to take away. So take them away. And what I hope you notice as you read them is that the weirdness just keeps getting weirder. Uh, One commentator said that Christmas is an explosion of supernatural weirdness. It is, isn't it? And it's all designed to be like this big neon sign to point to Jesus, to say, look at him and tell us why we need Christmas, why we need Jesus. Uh, What Matthew is doing with all of this stuff, with a boring genealogy and, and with this second chapter, is that he wants us to have the right image of Jesus. So there's images that came into your head about Christmas. He wants to get rid of those. And he wants us to have the right image of Jesus. Not Jesus the baby, but Jesus the king. That's why we've got that boring genealogy. Uh, That's why uh, the angel calls Joseph son of David. What Matthew is doing is he's showing and demonstrating the legal lineage from the great King David of the Old Testament to the greatest king in the New Testament, King Jesus. Now, I know that that uh, king image doesn't do us any favors, does it? I say the word king, and Queen Elizabeth comes into your head, right? Here she is with her corgis. Uh, She doesn't do much in the way of savior of the world, does she? Or you might be thinking Shrek, the little uh, Lord Farquhar in Shrek. He's a little king. Uh, When we think... um, uh, when, When Matthew says king, we're meant to have his definition of king. And Matthew goes to town in filling in the blanks of what it means for Jesus to be king. And so Matthew, in this little opening chapter of his biography, uh, fills in the blanks and shows us what he wants to understand, uh, us to understand as Jesus as king. And these two images, uh, they center on the two names that are given to Jesus. They center on the two names uh, that are given to Jesus. And they, they're designed to help us understand why we need Jesus as our king and why we need Christmas. So uh, here's the first image. Image number one, Jesus the rescuer. 
I don't know whether Mary got chance to try out the, the hipster baby name generator. I did during the week. Um, it came up with this. Uh, Walter Orange Quince Pierce. What do you think of that one? Or, or Roy Casper Alder Pierce. What do you reckon, Kim? Should we go again? She's already said no. <laughs> Uh, Mary doesn't have a choice, does she, of the choice of name. The angel tells her that the name that she is to give him, sentence 21, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus' name literally means God saves. For the name geeks out there, and I know there are name geeks out there, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, literally God saves. And he's named that because Jesus uh, does what it says on the tin. He saves. If I had to ask you, or whether you ask, if you had to ask a friend, uh, what is at the heart of Christianity? What would you say? For the first 18 years of my life, I thought that religion rules morality and talking to your invisible friend were at the heart of Christianity. But Matthew tells us that the heart of Christianity is one whopping big rescue. One massive rescue to trump all rescues. Uh, one of the best movies uh, we saw this year was the movie Sully. Did anyone see it? Uh, Tom Hanks uh, saves 155 passengers on flight 1549 as they land on the Hudson River in New York in 2009. It's the most amazing story. Uh, you really get into the, the passenger's plight. You see that uh, Sully um, reenacting all the different options he could have taken. And he saves his passengers. It's an amazing rescue story. But it is not a patch on the rescue that hit the earth on that very first Christmas. It arrived when Jesus was born in the manger and the rescue was completed 33 years later seven k's away in Jerusalem as Jesus died on the cross. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that, that Christmas is all about Easter, that Jesus was born to die, that he was born to die, born to rescue us. God's people needed a rescue. If you look through the first chapter of Matthew, Matthew keeps ba banging on about the exile. God's people were literally in a broken world. Their kingdom was divided. Their, their country was overtaken by a foreign invading force. There was no question that their world was broken. Exiled from God is what we're meant to think when we read chapter 1 of Matthew. And our world too is broken. I don't need to convince you that our world is broken. If you're not convinced, go and ask a policeman. Go and ask a paramedic. Go and ask a social worker. Our world is well and truly broken, and we need a rescue. That's why we have Christmas. That's why we need Christmas. We need a rescue when we get the doctor's bad news, when we get the redundancy letter, when we get those lonely silences. We cry out and we say, why? Why me? Why is this happening? Why can't I make sense of this? We need a rescue, and we need a rescuer. And our whys are just a cry for a rescuer. Oh, our world offers a bunch of different rescuers, a bunch of different saviors. But only one rescuer does what it says on the tin. 
You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now we need to get it straight that God doesn't uh, promise to take away all our troubles. There will be the, the why moments. But as Jesus hits the earth, he does promise to deal with the root cause of the brokenness. You see, all the, uh, the brokenness, all the pain, all the hurt that we see and feel in our world, they are just symptoms of the big problem, uh, the root cause, uh, sin. I'm conscious that when the preacher says sin, I walk into a cliche and you're all thinking, uh, sin is this thing that subhuman preachers hate and the rest of us secretly love. But we need to remember that sin is not about doing stuff. It's about relationship. It's about a broken relationship, a broken relationship with our creator God, the abnormal broken love that we uh, have, uh, the messed up relationship that we have uh, with our creator. And and all all the things that we see and feel are just symptoms of that. And Christmas was invented to rescue us from it. Jesus' death promises to save us from the brokenness, from uh, drowning in all the pain that we feel and see. His rescue promises to rescue us from that for eternity so that we don't need to go to what the Bible calls hell. So we don't need to spend eternity drowning in all of that muck. Uh, Jesus has come to rescue us, and, and we would be fools, wouldn't we, not to take up that rescue. I've got a, a, a guy who cuts my hair. You may say he does a bad job. He, he cuts my hair. And last Christmas, he literally needed to get rescued. He went out on a boat with his mates, and the boat sank, uh, I think about 10 k's uh, off Cronulla or somewhere around there. And they were in the water for four hours. And he was telling me about this rescue. And because I was kind of prepping for sermons, that kind of thing, I said, did you ever turn, did you think about turning the rescuers away? He was like, are you stupid? And he showed me the GoPro footage of him clinging hold of the, the, the Coast Guard as the rescuer hit his boat. And you can see in the background these sharks swimming round and round. He said, I'd be stupid to turn them away. And so we would be foolish to turn down uh, Jesus' rescue because we so desperately need it and we so desperately need to cling to him. Well, that's our first image, Jesus the rescuer. Now, the second image Matthew wants us to leave us with is revealed in the second name. Did anyone spot it? Uh, It's in verses 22 and 23. Have a look with me. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's our second image, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I reckon Emmanuel is a pretty good name if your kid is good at soccer. Are you guys having a boy? There you go, Emmanuel. Uh, If your kid's good at rugby, don't call them Emmanuel. They will get picked on at the rugby club. Uh, it's an extraordinary name, isn't it? Extraordinary because of how it sounds, but extraordinary because what it describes, that this little baby is God himself, uh, conceived in a scandal, born in an animal feeding trough. 
This is the God who flung stars into sky, who created you and me, who put the breath in our lungs, who sustains us every day, born into a slum. It's like the the King of England being born into a Bangladeshi hut or something like that. The God who made us, who made our universe, packaged up and sent to earth in a little Middle Eastern baby. And that's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing that that should happen. And we can just marvel at it. We should just marvel at that, that that God came down to be that baby. We should just marvel at it. But it means a great deal for us today. Uh, Firstly, it means that we know what God is like. Uh, We don't need to play uh, guessing games when it comes to God. There's no shortage of people in our world who will tell us that God is like this, this and this. Ask your friend, what do you think God is like? And they will tell you. But Christianity tells us that we don't need to listen to any of them. We just need to look at a person. That person is Jesus. As I said before, um, take away these Matthew's biographies. There's also a little book in your pack. That's our gift to you. There's also a little flyer for a thing called Christianity Explored. It starts in February. And that is a good place to look at God, to look at the person of Jesus. That is a good place to uh, look at the person of Jesus, see what he's like, see what he's done for you, and make a decision uh, for yourselves. Uh, Christianity is designed for us to look into the person of Jesus so that we would know our creator personally. Uh, We don't need to play guessing games with God. Well, secondly, it not only tells us what God is like, but it tells us that God knows what life is like for us. See, God is not some distant God sat in his ivory tower just uh, throwing down crisis after crisis and difficult things for us uh, to pick up. Emmanuel means that God knows what it's like to cry our tears. Emmanuel means that God knows what it's like to feel our pain, to walk in our shoes, to know those why moments. It's amazing. And it transforms those why moments as we realize that anything that we go through, God has been there. He's not a distant God that doesn't get it. He, he knows how you're feeling. He knows how you're feeling because he's been there in the person of Jesus. God knows what life is like. Well, thirdly, and this is really exciting, uh, Jesus being Emmanuel doesn't just mean that God empathizes with us. It means something extraordinary, that Jesus promises that God will be with us 24-7. It's a promise made to the Christian, to those who would submit to King Jesus, uh, that we would never be alone, that those why moments would never be on our own, that God would always be with us. And that's extraordinary, isn't it? It's extraordinary that God would promise that. Uh, We saw a movie just the other night, and it was about this foster kid, and he gets sent to a foster family. He's from the city. He gets sent to the country, and he decides to run away at night, and he doesn't get very far, and he falls asleep in a field in some mud, and as he wakes up, his foster mum is there, and she says, morning, son, 
what would you like for breakfast? If you're running away tomorrow night, we'll, you can put your order in before you go. But I'll be here waiting for you to fall asleep. It's an extraordinary story. And it's a, a little bit of the picture of what it means for God to be with us. God to be with us 24-7. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Christians are not promised a trouble-free life. Uh, the New Testament promises us persecution, if anything. But it does promise the Christian that we will never be alone. And we'll never be alone with, uh, with this God on our side. Uh, the image of Emmanuel is this kind of warrior figure image that Emmanuel would be with God's people as God went into battle. And you can see um, some of the battles that the Israelites fought in the Old Testament. We're meant to think God with us is this hard a Russell Crowe type warrior that stands with us. The God who flung stars into sky, who spoke the world into being, is with you. Now that is scandalous, isn't it? That is extraordinary and it is scandalous. But it is true that in the dark times, in the why moments, God is with you. It's a promise for the Christian and it's a promise that is free and open and available to anyone who would trust Jesus today. So let me ask you as we go out the door today, as you do take these uh, Gospels with you, these biographies, take the books, take the little leaflets, uh, read over them. And I want to encourage you to do what Joseph did and consider these things. Consider these things. Consider who Jesus is. Consider him as a rescuer. Consider him as God with you. Let Matthew's images uh, that he has put in his biography uh, wash over the images that you had before. Rub out and overwrite the old images and replace them with the image of this mighty warrior king born to give us a rescue that we all so desperately need and none of us deserve. The creator of the universe, who created the stars, who created our world, who walks with you, who knows you and surrounds you with his love. So my challenge is really to consider these things and ask you, will you walk with him? Will you walk with this Jesus, this Christ?